Greetings, brethren. Isn't it just a tremendous blessing to be a Christian? Indeed, worthy is the Lamb. We're going to see see that to some extent here. It will be... This coming Wednesday will be exactly three years ago I started this series in Galatians. And uh, this is going to be our last message in this letter today. Kind of sentimental for me anyway. If I was to do it all over again, I would, I would have preached a message solely on chapter 1, verse 4. I would have uh, preached a clear, definitive message on chapter 2, verse 16 on justification. I kind of approached that. We already know what justification is in this church. I spent three messages exposing the faults of the the new perspective on Paul. And I would have probably preached it slowed down a little bit at the beginning of chapter 4. But here we are. We're at the end and there's no going back. So let's let's read... uh, Start in verse 11. The Apostle Paul's final warning and benediction to these brethren. Verse 11, See with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, Peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear in my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Father, you can't but say, Worthy is the Lamb after reading Isaiah 53. Lord, Your own Son was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities, we read there. Poured out His soul unto death. And we were speaking about sovereignty earlier, Lord. It was Your will to crush Him. And our our behalf, and we thank you, Lord. Let us live lives worthy of that great atoning work. And we pray in this this last passage in Galatians, you would meet with us by your Spirit, Lord. Let your Word have free course. I pray, Christ, in the lifting up of His work and your work through the Apostle Paul would be used by your Spirit to draw others to yourself, to strengthen, encourage, help convict, or whatever You're pleased to do in our midst. Lord, do it, we pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen. 
So Paul's final words here to the Galatians. This is the only common feature amongst Paul's writings that is found in this letter. Grace in that last verse. The letter begins with grace in chapter 1, verse 3. And then it ends with grace. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brethren. Amen. Paul knows what's truly required in order to correct the problem that's taken place in Galatia. He wasn't going to do it alone. This is going to require the grace of God. The powerful grace of God. So he closes with this benediction of grace, this grace wish, if you will. I'm entrusting you to the grace of God, brethren, in this matter. As only He can turn this thing around. But it's the, it's the prior verse, verse 17, that I want to spend our final message in Galatians unpacking or highlighting. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear in my body the marks of Jesus. It's a bit of an unusual statement of closure. But uh, you know, Paul's benedictions do have a uniqueness about them. Paul, knowing this letter was going to be read aloud, and the likelihood of some of the Judaizers being in their midst, or at least those who had been impacted by the Judaizers' false teaching, he issues forth one final comment aimed at them. From now on, let no one cause me trouble. And brethren, that comment alone... That comment alone would seem to indicate these Judaizers were not just committed to making new converts to their Jesus plus dogma. That would indicate that they were doing so in such a way, in such a fashion, as to attack the Apostle Paul's character and discredit him. And Paul simply had enough of it. And so in a way that only Apostle Paul could do, he, he sort of drops the mic here, as it were, with this final jab for I bear in my body the marks of Jesus. I mean, this is brilliant. After spending a whole letter combating the flesh, combating fleshly, law-keeping religion, emphasizing faith and the Spirit as the true identity markers of salvation, he decides to exit this letter with a reference to flesh, to, to externals. With this rather cutting remark, no doubt pun intended. In other words, hey, you spiritual hacks, you want identity markers in the flesh? I've got them. You don't. In fact, verse 12, you've been doing everything possible to avoid any real marks that matter. Marks created through persecution, not circumcision. You want to talk about the realm of flesh? You want to talk about flesh marks? I'm a Jew. <laughs> I've got the marks you're trusting in. But those marks no longer are valid. No longer They're rendered meaningless through the cross. The only marks that matter now are the ones that I bear and you do not. The marks of persecution. The marks of being crucified with Christ. See, the great difference between Paul's marks and those of the Judaizers is the Judaizers were trusting in their marks, right? 
Paul's marks, they were a result of his trust in something outside himself, his trust in Christ. And it's because his boasting in the cross of Christ that Paul bore the marks of what it costs to be a cross boaster. Surely, Paul doesn't expect that this is going to stop the Judaizers from their persistent attempts to slander him. That will continue, no doubt, and propagate their heretical teaching. But he is trusting. The Lord will use this letter to end the trouble that he calls it here. The trouble that they've created within these Galatian churches with their flesh-oriented heresy. Paul says this is the end of the road, Galatians. Brethren, you be the judge. I bear the marks. They don't. Indirectly, this would be Paul's this would be Paul's equivalent statement to John Baptist saying, bring forth fruits meet for repentance. Bring forth fruits that demonstrate your repentance. Show me real marks that demonstrate your Christ's. I've got them. You don't, so buzz off. Marks of devotion, marks of ownership. Paul was branded for Jesus Christ. It was, it was common in that day. I mean, it's still common today with animals. Well, probably not so much today, but today we're a little more humane. We have ID tags and microchips. And, but not too long ago, when I was a child, it was, it was very common that you would brand an animal with a hot iron. And it would identify ownership. The same was true with human slaves, especially in Paul's day. Paul would be borrowing from that image saying, my persecution marks, they declare who my master is. I've been gladly branded as a slave of Jesus Christ. Paul understood, well understood, suffering was part and parcel of being a follower of Christ. He says in 2 Corinthians 1.5, for we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings. He, he, he tells the Philippians, it has been granted unto you for the sake of Christ, not only to believe in Him, but also suffer for His sake. He speaks of always carrying in His body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in His body. He tells the Colossians in Colossians 1.24, Now rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of His body, that is the church. A suffering that led to many imprisonments. In writing from one such imprisonment, he tells the Colossians as he closes that letter, Brethren, remember my chains. Paul is well acquainted with chains. The suffering of chains. And he embraced that. Maybe you recall Paul expressing his desire to the Philippians of sharing in Christ's sufferings. One of Paul's better known statements. After listing all his former accolades and accomplishments he trusted in as a lost religious man, Paul says, Now I count it all lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in Him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. 
Then, then this truth sort of just stirring him up in his inner man, he sort of burst out in this elevated moment of saying, that I might know Him and the power of His resurrection, that I might share in His sufferings and become like Him into death, and if by any means possible, may attain to the resurrection of the dead. We quote those. Those weren't just words for Paul. He lived it. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians 11. The Apostle Paul gives us a window here, a peer into the sufferings he endured for the sake of the Gospel. Each one of these statements, little brief comments added up, each one has a huge story behind it. Reading through this list should rightly humble everybody. Verse 21b, But whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I'm speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they, are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. I'm talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death. You think that left some marks? Five times received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. You think that left marks? Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. You know that left marks. Three times I was shipwrecked. Who knows what kind of bodily damage he incurred from that. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys and dangers from rivers, danger from robbers, Danger from my own people. Danger from Gentiles. Danger in the city. Danger in the wilderness. Danger at sea. Danger from false brothers. In toil and hardship through many sleepless nights. In hunger and thirst. Often without food. In cold and exposure. And we're worried about if we get enough sleep at night. Or if we got enough money saved up for our retirement account. Or if we got enough locks or alarms or or, or security boxes and safe places. Or or whether we're going to get burnt in the hot Texas sun when we're out evangelizing. Boy, that's really laying on thick the suffering right there. Or we think we're getting persecuted because you know somebody somebody says something derogatory to us when we're trying to share the gospel with them, or or somebody gets in, in your face, right? Great persecution. You cannot study the Apostle Paul's life without coming away feeling about that big. Not if you honestly study his life. And listen, he's not even, this is not, this is not an exclusive list. I mean, he's just not, he's not exhaustive here. He doesn't include the viper marks of, of Acts 28. 
You remember that? He gets on the island, he's picking up the sticks, and this viper gets a hold of him, and everybody on the island's like, he's a dead man. He didn't die. But you think that viper left some marks? You better believe it. Have you ever seen snake bites? I've seen one brother's leg that got bit by a rattlesnake and horrible scar leaves. Well, getting back to that, just that one short sentence there. It's amazing to me that Paul, Paul, Paul reduces it to four words, brethren. Once I was stoned. Listen, if that was you and me, we'd be talking for hours about how, how we got stoned. Right? Give me the mic. i got something to say about it. Four words. That's all you got to say, Paul? Once I got stoned. And I know we looked at it when we were in chapter 4, but that was like a year and a half ago. But let's just let's look at this one more time. Acts 14. I mean, this is toward the, 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 the latter part of Paul's first missionary journey. Traveling through the Galatian cities, proclaiming the Gospel. Paul and Barnabas, you know, they stirred up a hornet's nest in Iconium. And, and so they're headed to Lystra, and, and there Paul, is, he, he heals a guy, and, and people start worshiping him. They start falling down and worshiping Paul and Barnabas. They're calling him Hermes and, and Zeus. and So Paul you know, sits down and tries to straighten them out. And even then, he was, trying to, he was, he was hard-pressed to keep them from offering sacrifice to him. Well, before long, the Iconium hornets, they, they find their way to Lystra. And, and we pick up the reading here in verse 19. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, having persuaded the crowds. They stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with... Barnabas to Derby, and when they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and Iconium and to Antioch. I mean, this passage just always blows me away. I find it to be one of the most incredible statements in the New Testament. Listen, who gets up from being stoned and lives to tell about it? I don't know anybody else. Who gets stoned, gets right back up, and then marches right into the very city of the people that just stoned you? I mean, Paul, are you nuts? Were you hit so hard in the head that you've lost your reason? I mean, that's a legitimate concern. I mean, have you seen stonings? You understand what's happening, right? They're not throwing pebbles. They're throwing large enough rocks to kill you. Brethren, they thought, they thought he was dead. They thought they killed him. Mission accomplished. You better believe that left some severe scars. You ever seen it? Horrific. You don't even ever have to even see it to imagine the damage. As I've mentioned before, I'm convinced Paul's stoning here was the source of his bodily ailment back in chapter 4. And perhaps, perhaps even the lingering ramifications of that became Paul's thorn in the flesh that he asked the Lord on three different occasions to remove. I don't know, but, but God left it, right? He left it to keep him humble. Either way, here in this situation, Paul is 
had to be messed up, a bloody, absolute bloody mess, wounded so bad they thought he was dead. They drag him out of the sea to wherever it is they took dead bodies because they were convinced he was dead. Then when Paul's team shows up and starts shooing the vultures away, I mean, they notice that Paul's still breathing. In fact, he started moving, and before long he stood up, brushed himself off, and says, what are you looking at? Boys, let's get back to work. I mean, this is the man that wrote this light momentary affliction. You can be certain, brethren, his body was laden with scars. Marks of persecution. Marks of faithful dedication. Marks of Jesus. They were visible reminders to everyone who saw them and to all who knew Paul that this was the cost of being Christ's ambassador. Paul rightly labels them Jesus' marks because they really weren't aimed at Paul. They were aimed at Christ. All persecution always is. As he signs off this letter, Paul is highlighting what he was willing to endure for Christ's sake and what these false teachers were all along seeking to avoid. Persecution. And in bringing up his scars, Paul is saying, brethren, I know you're facing some immense pressure from the Jewish community. I understand it. I know it's hard standing up against the current of the, of the majority, of the popular majority, of the, that herd mentality. I know they're insistent upon your compliance and they're, they're relentless in their demands, but brethren, stay the course. Don't give up. Don't compromise for fear of what it may cost you. It, it's going to cost you something to follow Jesus Christ. I bear in my body the marks of Jesus. I bear in my body the cost of faithfully doing just that. You, you remember these scars that I bear. You saw them when they were fresh wounds. And, and as he says in chapter 4, you received me as an angel of God and you helped nurse me back to health. Yes, I bear these scars for Christ's sake, but I also bear these scars for your sake. These scars brought the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ into your ears and into your hearts. I bear these scars for bringing you a law-free gospel that you might believe it and that you might embrace it and that you might walk in the freedom of it. Not so you go back to being flesh-bound, law-bound, so you go back to flesh-pleasing religion or flesh-pleasing anything, but that you might walk in the power of the Spirit of the living God. That's why I bore these scars. Brother, can you see it? Paul, Paul just sitting there with pen in hand, with all these scars, with all this inner turmoil. Realizing everything that was going on over Galatia, he couldn't do anything about it. He's sitting over here, wherever here was. It was Antioch, I don't know. But just utterly grieved considering the cost, the price he paid. 
And now seeing how easily these brethren were getting manipulated and deceived, suddenly thinking now they got to be circumcised and there, listen, there's little more discouraging than than when you have people you've invested yourself in who seem to be flourishing spiritually during that season and then just to suddenly find them in a state of serious spiritual danger. You want to mark your flesh, Galatians? Don't mark it with a knife. Mark it like I did with a kind of gospel living that counts the cross of Jesus Christ as absolutely paramount and precious. Paul closes with this comment, knowing these brethren knew full well what he was referring to. And he was, he was hoping to freshly bring that up and stir that up in their memories, trusting, trusting God to use it as a reminder. And in that reminder, amplify and validate the gospel he entrusted to them, which is different from what these guys were trying to influence them with. Brethren, I honestly I, I find these words of Paul some most challenging words of this whole letter. It talks cheap. It, it's it's especially in this country, still, even still, it's easy to talk about Jesus. It is. It's easy to wear things about Jesus, right? Or, you know, post signage about Jesus. We can get tattoos about Jesus. I mean, we're good at that, right? Look at, look at my, look at my cross and look at my verses and, listen, I'm not suggesting anything wrong with that. Just pointing out, it's easy. It costs you zero. Other than the 30 bucks you lay down to buy it. It's one thing to bear the brand name of Jesus, but a whole other thing to bear His marks in and on your body. Totally different ball game. I've had to, I've had to come face to face with this text, like I seek to do. I hope you do as well. After thirty years of following Christ, thirty plus years. Where are His marks on my body? I've gotten a few sunburns from evangelism. Had some derogatory things said to me and maybe a few threats over the years. I don't think I have a martyr's complex. I Listen, approaching this text... I knowing how the Lord has rather consistently allowed things to occur in this church that fall right in line with the text I've been preaching, I admit, has made me a little bit nervous about preaching this message today. I just confess that. But, but listen, do we really embrace the cross and all that it means? Or are we simply just imbibed in easy Christianity that really costs us nothing? Nothing to embrace, nothing to, to proclaim. 
You know one thing that persecution does? It weeds that out. And brother, I never thought myself to be any kind of have any kind of prophetic gifts, and I don't even think prophetic gifts are necessary to simply discern the the, the signs of our times. We're on the cusp of true persecution. We're certainly inching closer as we approach this next presidential election. Last couple of elections have been fraught with all manner of organized chaos and expressed rebellion, just agendas of wickedness. Anything but that which is friendly to Christianity. And I fully expect this is going to get worse this next year. This godless culture has just continued to wax more and more bold against Christ and His people. That happens in judgment. Restraints are removed. The Lord allows wickedness to reign. We heard it earlier, right? I mean, if you read your Old Testament, you realize God brought the Syrians in. It was God's doing. He brought the Babylonians in. It was God's doing. You think God's people were protected from that? All of them? Paul tells Timothy, evil people and impostors will go from bad to worse. Deceiving and being deceived. We're seeing that very thing. The days of easy Christianity in America are soon to disappear. Real persecution, brethren. It's on the horizon. For those who are real, it is. It's still going to be there for those that aren't. In fact, it's going to sort of separate the wheat from the chaff. I don't think Paul was looking for persecution. I really don't. Nor do I think any genuine Christian should. But it is what Christians should expect as they seek to walk worthy of the Lord. Paul Paul did tell Timothy in his last letter to him, all who live godly in Christ Jesus will what? God's going to protect them from any kind of harm? No. They will suffer persecution. Now, are there people that seek to to validate their Christianity by creating some self-inflicted, self-generated, quasi-persecution? Yes. Unfortunately, there is. Nonetheless, that that is the promise, brethren. The promise for those who seek to live a life honoring to Christ. Jesus told His disciples the night before He died, servant's not greater than His Master. They persecuted Me. They will persecute you. So what about you? What about me? Where are the marks of such? Where's the living proof that we're living godly in Christ Jesus? We, we spend plenty of time trying to perfect this flesh. You know, we run to the gym and we tone ourselves up and we're going to change our diet. And we're gonna... When Paul reaches the end of his life after fighting the good fight of faith, after holding up under the stigma of being one who identifies with Jesus Christ and enduring all the resistance and all the tests of, of his faith that came his way, Paul reaches the end, bearing in his body 
the marks of Jesus. That's what, call, that's what Paul's cross-boasting produced. What marks your life? Is there any evidence of you being a follower of Christ? Now, I wanted to give proper regard to the physical marks of persecution because that is specifically what the text here is referring to. And what a palm in the face this is to the cowardice Judaizers who are avoiding it. But I, I venture to say I stand here in a room full of Christians, no doubt, who love Christ and like myself, bear none of the marks of persecution physically. Now some of you might bear marks of some foolish moment in your life or a childhood accident or some of you probably bear the marks of a, of a bar, bar fight or a knife fight or even a gun fight. But they're not marks of Jesus. They're marks of flesh. I've got some scars, but none of them are marks of Jesus. Well, thankfully, physical marks of persecution are not a prerequisite to entering into glory. (laughs) We'd all be in trouble. However, they are a real potential, brethren. Real potential for those who seek to faithfully live out their lives for the glory of Christ. Philip Ryken says, this statement is a warning to every Christian. For it shows what, what kind of treatment we can expect for boasting in the cross. Sooner or later, every Christian who glories in the cross will face opposition. Some will even bear in their bodies the marks of Jesus. However, not, not all persecution is physical, is it? I don't think we would be overly stretching this text to suggest that these marks also point inwardly. There are real spiritual marks that identify the true children of God. Make make no mistake about it, it does cost you something to follow Christ. There is a cross to bear. There is a life to forsake as you live out this new life that you possess, if indeed you possess it. There are some marks, some deep brandings that are not visible to the human eye, but nonetheless, they're visible to God. And every true Christian bears the marks of Jesus in some fashion. Maybe not physically, but certainly spiritually. There's a real spiritual branding, if you will, that takes place in our sanctification. I'm talking about the branding of a red-hot iron, metaphorically speaking. Branding means pain. Do we want that? To be marked with Christ's ownership upon us is, is, is to invite suffering in our lives. It, it is. The removal of pride and idolatry is a very painful process. I'm sure some of you could vouch for that experience. It burns sort of like a red-hot iron on flesh. 
Branding's also being cut off from this world. Do we want that? Demas found out he didn't, after all. Didn't want that. Would you be branded for Jesus? That's the question. Because to receive His salvation is to receive such branding. Those are the marks that every Christian must bear. And Christian, you have them, if you have them, because God has asked you to bear them for His glory. Cross boasters will bear the marks of Jesus. It'll happen one way or the other. And it's unique in everyone's life. The Lord is very, very faithful to lovingly bring His red-hot poker and and, and place it into the areas of your life to kill your flesh that would otherwise bring you to destruction, Christian. God's faithful to deal with it. So, brother, sister, don't resist the singeing of your flesh. That's the operation of God making you more holy. Your life will prove fruitless without it. You see, we must die daily if we would have the life of Christ flowing through us daily. And death is necessary. In God's economy, it's death with Christ that brings forth the beauty of Christ. G. Campbell Morgan says this, It is the crucified man that can preach the cross. Said Thomas, except I see his hands and the print of his nails, I will not believe. What Thomas said of Christ, the world is saying about the church. The world is also saying to every preacher, unless I see in your hands the print of the nails, I will not believe. It is true. It is the man who has died with Christ that can preach the cross of Christ. Those are cutting words. As I said, it's easy to talk about the cross, but a whole other thing to live it. We can get all the right doctrine. We can be eloquent in explaining it. But there's no power Well, there is no power. There's no power if there's no marks. No marks of death. Brethren, the reason why the things are happening in your life right now, the things that are happening in your life, the reason why they're happening right now is because words are not sufficient. That's why. It's because you and I, we can can hear another message. It doesn't matter how great and wonderful the speaker is. And we can read another chapter of Scripture and not really be changed by it. Why? Why? Because that's not not what's required to to take you deeper. Words aren't enough. Marks are necessary. The marks of God's own choosing as He, He brings to you in His faithful providence the very thing you need to grow. The very thing you need to be made more holy. The very thing you most need to be made more like Jesus Christ. And it's not what you think it should be. But the all-wise God knows exactly what to prescribe you. Exactly. 
They're love marks. You know, we're quick to quote Luke 9, 23, and we're evangelizing. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. But are we applying that verse to our own lives? Are we embracing the cross Jesus gives us? Are we resisting it? Complaining about it? Essentially rejecting it? Lord, Lord, why this? Why me? Why? Because I love you. That's why. Because my aim is to take you deeper. My aim is to make you more fruitful. My aim is to make you more intimate with me. My aim is to make you less a talker and more of a walker. Isn't that what you've been asking for? Well, it requires the marks of Jesus. I'm simply answering your prayers. I mean, haven't you paid attention to the words of your own songs? I make no mistakes. I know the path I'm leading you down. I know its end. Yours is to trust me. I'm working in you things that have an absolutely wonderful ending. Christians are branded through suffering. And such suffering, brethren, you know by experience, it yields humility and it yields worship. At the end of the day, it's what it does. My wife posted this in our family chat. I don't even know who it's from. Beautiful flowers grow out of ugly dirt. Breathtaking sunsets emerge after devastating storms. Some of your most beautiful moments will come as a result of your most difficult struggles. It was Richard Baxter who said, Christ leads His people through no darker rooms than He has already went. I was talking to a brother just last night in the midst of a trial. He said, speaking of the Lord, he said, I felt like He left me. You been there, Christian? I was explaining to him that, that that's actually a, a gift from God. You say, well, how can that be a gift? You recall that text I quoted in Philippians 3.10 where Paul says that I might know Him, that I might share in His sufferings. The King James renders that the, the fellowship of His sufferings. I like that translation. There is true fellowship in entering into Jesus' suffering here on earth. That's what God's doing. Christian, you realize when Jesus hung there on that tree, He wasn't just bearing our guilt and shame. He wasn't just bearing the almighty wrath of God. He was. But out of necessity, He hung there, forsaken and abandoned by God. Jesus cried in those most dreadful hours, My God, My God, why have You forsaken Me? 
He cried that, brethren, because God had forsaken him. He really did. He couldn't look, God couldn't look upon our sins that were placed upon his son. Think about that. He had to abandon his son. Jesus suffered the divine desertion that we deserve. He was cut off from the presence of Almighty God until the penalty was fully paid. What was that experience? We, we, we just don't know. <laughs> Can't wrap our minds around that. But you know what it's like to feel abandoned, right? You know what it's like to feel your, the loneliest state you've ever felt in your life? Well, magnify that about 10,000 times. That was Jesus. And you know what's, what's so glorious, brethren? We will never know what it's like as Christians. You know why? Because Jesus Himself has promised, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will be with you always to the end of the age. Oh, we might come to a place where we feel, you know, and I trust every Christian will at some point in their life. They do. A place where we feel abandoned by God. I feel like He left me. But it's not true. It's not true. And you know why I call it a gift, brethren? It's because it's, it's at that moment. And it's at that moment alone that we're enabled by God to enter into, in some measure, some small measure it may be, but some measure we're able to enter into Christ's forsakenness. His deep, lonely moment on the cross. And of course, we're not alone. He hasn't left us because He never will. But we enter in, when we enter into those very trying moments or seasons of great loneliness where we feel like God maybe has abandoned us, we're actually afforded the precious privilege of entering into our Savior's lonely suffering. That's a gift. A gift from God. And it's a gift in, in a twofold manner. There's transforming power. Number one, there's transforming power in identifying with Christ's suffering. We get marked, as it were, in that way. Identifying with Jesus. Secondly, we're, we're allowed to experience that our faith is real. <laughs> right? And not founded on things that we can see. God brings severe trials in our life to allow us to see the mark of faith that He has given us. When He gives us the ability to trust Him when we got nothing else. To trust Him when we got nothing else to lean upon but Christ Himself. And I didn't talk to Jenny and she didn't talk to me. I, I love it when the Lord does this. I got right here in my notes. Christ, the sure and steady anchor. We sing it. In the fury of the storm, when the winds of doubt blow through me and my sails have all been torn. Don't you feel like that sometimes, Christian? In the suffering, in the sorrow, when my sinking hopes are few, I will hold fast to the anchor. It shall never be removed. That's our Savior. Do you have the identity mark? of clinging to Jesus Christ, of Christ being your anchor when all the waves and storms of life come crashing in upon you. 
Christian, He brings them to prove your trust. On the other side of the the storm, what what are you holding on to? Are you holding on to Jesus? That's a demonstration of the precious gift of God's faith. Human faith won't get you there. He brings those things for our good. Think about it. The, the, the worst thing that's ever happened in the history of the world, the murder of Jesus Christ, just so happens to be the absolute best thing that's ever happened because it saved your never dying soul if you're a Christian here today. And brethren, it's being gripped by those scenes at the cross of Jesus Christ being forsaken of God. It's being gripped by that that causes a person to pursue a life and endure a life of imprisonments and countless beatings and shipwrecks and stonings and sleepless nights and all manner of hardships that led to the physical markings of Jesus and Paul's body. Paul, how and why would you do that? Why would you go to this country and that country, all the, all the dangers of the sea and false brethren and get stoned? You know they're going you know to persecute you. Why are you doing it? Because Christ is precious and He's worthy. Because Paul meditated on that cross. That's what produced it. Paul showed his great love for Jesus by his willingness to endure whatever it took, whatever was necessary for the sake of His name. His boasting the cross resulted in marks that would end up he would end up carrying to the grave. And I would just close with some 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 questions for our own self reflection. What does your love for Christ cost you? What, it, what has it moved you to do for the sake of Christ? Do you bear the marks of Jesus? Father, we thank You for the Apostle Paul as a demonstration of what Your grace can do in the life of a fallen sinner. Lord, none of us here want to, want, want to go out and just try to get injured try to get wounded, think that's something holy. But we thank You for our health. We thank You for our protection. We thank You for our freedom. We thank You for all these things. But Lord, I, I pray you'd, you'd, you'd move us beyond the comfortable. You'd move us beyond the safe zones. Lord, You'd move us to have the kind of courage and tenacity and faith and love and commitment and dedication that we find in this Apostle of Yours. Lord, brand us for Jesus. I pray in His name. Amen.